This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where we watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that we have never seen before. My name is Dave, and I am your host. And this week, I am joined by an army of guests, and we are all going to be seeing a movie finishing out our catch-up of Oscars Best Picture nominees, which this week we're watching Parasite. So this week... I am joined by Eric number two. Mm. Hey, Will. Greetings and salutations. Faith. Hello. And Aaron. Hello. And just to get it out there right off the top, if you would like to contact this podcast, we are available at betterlate underscore pod on Twitter. And if you'd like to email us, we're available at betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com. And with that all out of the way, guys, we're talking about Parasite. Woo! So the way this podcast works is, under normal circumstances, we find a person who hasn't seen the movie, we get them to make predictions about what they think the movie is about, Uh, we all laugh at them, and then we go see the movie or watch it here, And then we come back and talk about it. We laugh at them some more on microphone about how their predictions were wrong or something like that. And then we also just generally talk about the film. This week, though, just about all of you have already seen Parasite, right? So uh, who here has seen it? Uh, I have seen it. I have seen it. I have seen Parasite. Eric, too, here. I have not seen it. Well, Eric, I'm with you. I have also not seen Parasite. There you go. So it looks like we're kind of in the hot seat for this one. Dave, you haven't seen Parasite? I know. I'm like the only one. So, Will, you and I have discussed a little bit why I haven't seen Parasite. We have, because you hate Bong Joon-ho. With a fiery passion. uh, And just the whole country of South Korea. Despise the country. I'm a way bigger fan of the North. I I just am a huge partisan. (laughs) Absolutely. I love their film industry. Great film industry. You hate people telling you you're going to love a movie. You hate people building up your expectations. Uh, I I do tend to react to things that get super hyped. Yes, I I have a natural reaction against that. But in this case, um, the specific thing is not that I hate Bong Joon-ho, but to quickly recap, I've seen a bunch of his movies and I don't hate him. I just have come to the conclusion that he's clearly a skilled filmmaker, but I just don't find that his movies are really particularly to my taste. He's just not for me. So I didn't really go, I didn't go out of my way to see this movie, but I think this, this, the critical and uh, cultural consensus around it has hit such a fever pitch now that like, 
Why the fuck not? Let's see Parasite. Let's see. Let's see what all this chitter chatter is about, shall we? I don't think you're going to regret this, personally. I've been excited for you to see this movie, knowing your relationship with uh, Bong Joon-ho. And Mm. I'm interested to see how this movie holds up against his other films. Oh, really? You guys seem pretty confident about that. Well, I would like to say that I, like you, am actually was not a huge Bong Joon-ho fan before this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I saw The Host, and I thought it was pretty good, but not really my genre. I really did not like Snowpiercer in that, or it's not that I didn't like it. I just thought it was silly. However, this movie really knocked my socks off. Um, and Ooh. I think it's a departure or a progression for him. Okay. I also, uh, for the record, really didn't like Snowpiercer. You know, I'm going to third that. I also didn't like Snowpiercer, and I've said this before on the pod, but it's the, a genre that usually is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. You know, the post-apocalyptic science fiction where everything's just bananas and it's commenting on society. But it was just silly, to your to use your word, Faith. I just found it silly. I found it um, just really over the top. I found the symbolism and commentary just kind of grating and... Uh, just to be, to be fair, to that it. can't all be laid at Bong Joon-ho's feet because he was a- adapting a previously created uh, property in that case. Right. So, you know, he didn't come up with that idea. Now, None I, of these sound like movies I would watch. <laughs> really? A movie I that you no wouldn't see? I have no idea who Bong Joon-ho is. Well, all right. So let's get like into I it, Eric. a little bit more of like a background or something. Well, Eric, um, what have you heard about this film? Not much, but it came to my attention when I was watching actually the uh, Golden Globes. Okay, and he had like a arm full of trophies, and then I think he he this won Best Picture too, right? Aaron and I actually had a bet the the night before the Oscars that um, this was uh, going to win Best Picture. We I, were going to bet a million dollars, but we never actually <laughs> shook on it, and that is why. Um, I'm very poor today. Do you guys want to bet on whether or not I wind up liking this movie? We can put a million dollars on it. Okay. Yeah. All right. You, you all heard it here first. A million dollars. If I like the movie, then Eric owes Aaron and Faith a million dollars. And if I don't, then, then Eric Will owes me a million dollars. This is legally binding, correct? Yeah, yeah it's, it's going out on the internet. Of course it is. Well, Eric, um, we're going to start with you. We're going to put all the pressure on you to begin with. Everyone's looking at you. Everyone's listening to you. A lot of pressure. Just pretend you're on going to the movies with Eric, and it should feel natural. (laughs) What do you think this movie's about? You know Um, the title. So, coronavirus, maybe? It does predate the coronavirus by quite some time. We're talking pretty current. Yes, it does. Anyway, I think this is going to be a paramount film for you in this series, man. Like, I think you're going to love this. I really do. Do you think you're going to love it? Duck in the question. Nice, nice I dodge. I like everything I watch pretty much. If, you know, if it's <laughs> not that sci-fi-y, is it going to be sci-fi-y? Who do you think is the parasite? Who or what is the parasite? Do you think it'll be sci-fi? All of these questions are for you, Eric. You're the one I think. Uh, I feel like it's going to be something like... Um, airborne illness like a coronavirus okay so like an outbreak monkeys contagion a disease movie yeah yeah. okay okay that's what i'm thinking a little sci-fi ish yeah gotcha Gotcha. maybe futuristic all right do you have i think i feel like there's gonna be like blue tones in like the color scheme you know 
Oh, yeah. So sort of like the American half of traffic. Mm. You feel me? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I got yeah. you. I like got a focus you. Focus feature, you know, like they yeah. Have oh, that, focus like, feature loves that blue wash. That blue wash. Yeah, that they blue do. Wash, yeah. Either the the cold blues or those warm oranges, but they always got a lot of filters. So I'm thinking that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? This is your chance to get it on record. It's going to be roughly two hours and ten minutes. I told you that beforehand. <laughs> so so really, you are cheating. Very specific. Actually, <laughs> you are cheating. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew I was going to get grilled on this podcast, which is why I brought the French Bulldogs, which... Oh, yeah, we do have um, guests that are not on mic at the moment, which are two lovely French Bulldogs. <laughs> listeners may have heard in your intro. We that have was Lady not me panting. <laughs> was... <laughs> um, I have a question. What genre do you think the movie is? Um, you, you think it might be kind of like sci-fi? A, a intellectual thriller? An intellectual thriller. I've been referred to as an intellectual thriller, so <laughs> right up my alley. Oh my god! Okay, okay. Well, in that case, it comes back to me. Um, I'm gonna lay out, like right off the top, that uh, I think I know pretty much everything that happens in this movie, because I didn't really think I was gonna wind up seeing it or seeing it anytime soon. I didn't make any effort to avoid spoilers. But that being said, I didn't go looking for them either. So this is actually kind of an interesting test case in the power of learning about a film just through cultural uh, osmosis here, because it's not even like this has been out for very long. You know, with the other movies, like, you know, when we're talking about Indiana Jones or the Goonies, it's like you pick up things through like Simpsons parodies or your friends talking about them or you see them referenced and whatever. But this is just a movie that everyone's been talking about a lot for a relatively short period of time. And I think I've learned quite a bit about it just from that like big sprint of conversation. Well, I think that's kind of unfortunate um, because it is kind of a... Relying on those twists. Yeah, Aaron and I saw this together and we went in both pretty blind. Um, and I think that helped in the viewing. But I still think as long as some twists are like... You're not sure about that that could really help i'm pretty sure i know them all oh oh well yeah which is a shame but you know, even my dad has seen this movie and my dad doesn't see anything new like i got my dad to see dunkirk but prior to that i think the last time he'd been in a movie theater was la confidential <laughs> so that was some time ago yeah i don't know how the fuck did my dad wind up seeing parasite i don't know but anyway so eric you might want to cover your ears for this <laughs> uh I think that I think I'm so confident in my predictions. I bet they're spoilers. Should I leave the room? If you want, I'll leave the room. It's up to you. Just call me back in when you're ready. All right. (laughs) Bye, Eric. We'll miss you. Bye, Eric. He's going into that soundproof Mori booth. (laughs) He's moving the bookcase, guys. (laughs) Okay. Here's what I think the movie's about. You got the poor family, and their life sucks. Uh, They are Korean. Bold, bold. Bold prediction. Um, One of them gets a job with a rich family, also Korean. Uh, (laughs) Aw. Faith, you must really, (laughs) really approve of my prediction so far. Um, The one who gets the job with the rich family finagles it so that... um, yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of uh, dog background noise in this one. I have a French bulldog in my lap. I apologize. That's okay. That's what she said. 
the uh, the one person with the job finagles it so that the rest of the poor family winds up with jobs with the rich family. And so now they're all sucking on the sweet teat of wealthy other people and living large. And so, you know, it's a big con job and that's what we have. And then the big twist is that there is a third family. The, the rich family's house has some kind of bunker and the bunker is revealed to have uh, an entirely different person or group of people who have been living off of the rich family unbeknownst to everyone who has been in the movie so far and that's the big twist and i don't know how that imp- like where it goes from there how it impacts you know anything that happens from that point but like that's the the screwball nutty bit and the other big thing that i heard and i don't even really know what it means but there's a rock some things turn around mm-hmm. Someone's got a rock. It's like, you know, it's like a totem they get or something like that. And they it's filled with import import or something. But long story short, uh, I'm not sure this movie is going to have a ton of surprises for me. But I guess we'll find out. Now, back to you guys. Do you want to ask me anything or bring anything out prediction wise before we watch the movie? Do you um, think that there's any food in this movie. Mm. I don't know mm. anything about any food. This is interesting. That's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. Uh, mm. Especially, um, we discussed fucking a peach last time, I think. Oh, yeah. We did, yeah. So, I mean, that's really, I just wanted to bring up the peach fucking thing again, because that was a fun <laughs> conversation. Yeah, you just wanted to talk about yeah. peach fucking and again. Then the, yeah. Dave, do you think that these families that you predict could should be taken literally, or it might be there's some other meaning that we're supposed to take from them? Hmm. What what do you mean by that? I don't mean anything by that. Like they're not families, they're strangers, or they're well, not... Yeah, I think with Korean movies, South Korean movies, often there is a, a lot of allegory and metaphor. Do you think there's any of that in this film? Do I... Th- so, I'm, I'm a little lost on the question. So, is there is there something about the families where they're not actually families, or that... Do you think there's going to be a message, you know, about Korean society in the movie? And if so, what do you think that message would be? Oh, uh, hmm. well, I mean, if it was being really trite, I suppose the message could be who's really the parasite. Is it these guys or those guys? Is it? Actually, the rich people are the parasites and not the more obvious parasites who are leeching off them or, you know, like whatever, something like that. But um, hopefully this has me excited that it's something much more interesting than that. Cool. Cool. Um, Well, it's 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 hard to ask you questions because you seem to know so much already. But what genre do you think? Stop confirming his predictions. I mean, everyone's been. (laughs) This is a weird film. Everyone has been talking about it nonstop for a long time. So you know, and again, didn't go out of my way to avoid it, but also didn't go out of my way to you know. It's not like I've been like reading up on it. You know, I just sort of like heard a lot about it it's been very much in the zeitgeist lately i mean like aaron and faith i went in very blind um you know i i there was a lot of buzz about this movie when it kind of came to the states and i saw it very early on 
Um, and my expectation was, uh, I think, more like Eric's, um, just kind of knowing Bong's previous work. And Oh, my God. Um, Eric. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Eric. Is he okay? I think he's climbed out a window. <laughs> Who gets to adopt the dogs? Call lady. You ready yeah, you can come back, dude. <laughs> Welcome back. I I had brought up your name because I was saying that my predictions before I saw this movie were much along the lines of yours um, and that I thought it was going to be kind of sci-fi. I had seen some of the director's previous work, uh, which are kind of sci-fi and have, you know, special effect creatures that are uh, that are involved. And that was sort of my expectation when I went into it. Yeah, I think this movie is not going to be sci-fi. I think it's going to be a real Will Kurtz, a psychological thriller. I think intellectual oh, thriller. Intellectual oh, sorry. Thriller. Yeah. <laughs> psychological also works. You think there's going to be psychology in this? <laughs> Hang, that's bold. Yeah. Um, man, is there anything else that uh, I've heard about it? Do you think this movie will pass the Bechdel test? Yeah, I do. You don't seem very excited about that. <laughs> I just don't really care. He's just know. done with women. He's had a lot of women. Well, and also, uh, you know, the, the Bechdel test isn't everything. Like, you can have strong female characters without it. And, you know, it's not the first thing I'm looking at, usually. It's it's interesting, Bechdel but test. it's um it's a shorthand test to see uh, how well-written the female characters are in a movie. So, uh, quickly, there's th- three steps. Uh, is there more than one female character who has a name, so not just mom or nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, Do those two female characters speak to each other, not just to men? Mm -hmm. And if they speak to each other, do they speak about something other than the men in the movie? You'd be surprised how many movies don't pass that test. Practically all don't pass that test. Wow. Yeah. So you do predict there will be some strong female characters in this film? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It'll pass the test. I think so. Cool. Yeah. I like it. That being said, I think that's all. Oh, I think um I think the house will be really nice. Like this is more just from the trailer. So there there are a few shots of the rich people house. Well, okay, so I I've seen a few shots more like stills like, you know, like from Oscars like recap stuff. It's like, you know, uh Parasite wins and it's like a still of the poor people's house and boy does that does that apartment look like a piece of shit. So that'll suck, but the rich person's house, whenever I see a still from that, I mean it's on the poster too, just looks really nice. And uh, I, I expect it to be kind of like property porn a little bit. So that that's another one. But I think that's it for me, unless you guys have any more that you want me to get on record before we watch it. No, I think you made some strong <laughs> predictions. Okay. <laughs> Do you have anything else, Eric, that you'd like to add about the movie before um, seeing it? Maybe just uh, back up to the director a little bit more. Like, what is what's going on here? Do you guys like him? Like, what's you know Dave a lot does more not about like him. him. You know a lot more about him. And I just saw what he said, and he was like basically in the speech, like. Korean film is here, like this is really international now, and I thought that was like pretty cool. And plus his um, um everlasting quote, I will drink until next morning. Hmm. <laughs> yes. I, I mean yeah. So is he like what what's his deal? Is he good? He's good. good people? 
Oh. He, so he's done a lot yeah. of movies. Um, I don't really care for most of them myself, actually. But So he's done Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm. He's done Okja. Um, he's done a movie called Mother. He's done, um, what else? The, the Host. host. Yep. Yeah. Memories of Murder. Um, okay. So he's a really prominent um, Korean director that has, you know, really come to be known internationally. Oh, cool. I'll just um, say for the record, I've enjoyed every movie that he's made other than uh, Snowpiercer, mm-hmm. um, which just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Although I thought there were many elements of Snowpiercer that I enjoyed, um, particularly a lot of the cinematography and some of the uh, character work bun- done by some of the actors in it, which, you know, you have to credit Bong Joon-ho for that direction as well. Um I've, you know, enjoyed every other movie that I've seen by him, but I did think Parasite was kind of a, a cut above uh, his previous work. Right. Cool. And yes, I can speak uh, about Korea more in the second half because I did live there yeah. and um, have re- just recently visited again. Um, but there is definitely um, a lot of strong Korean movies. And I think that uh, Bong Joon-ho is just really excited to kind of get that get Korea into a more, I don't know, popular place internationally for movies. Uh, Korea is actually like celebrates. They have the biggest, um, one of the biggest international film festivals in Busan, actually. And my deal with him is um, just, uh, you know, I've talked about it on other podcasts, so just v- very quickly. Uh, I think he's clearly talented. He's a good director and I'm perfectly happy for him that he won this award because he's clearly skilled but uh, when i've seen his movies something about them just doesn't click for me so i don't really like him but it's more that like i don't like i I, i'm just not personally feeling it so you know i don't think he's bad i don't dislike him i just don't like him so this movie i guess is going to be a real test to see if i can be won over yeah i'm personally very excited to to see what you think of this movie because of your history so all right, well, let's go find out, guys. All right. All right. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's gotcha. find out. This is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. Well, guys, I think we can all agree that the real parasite was the friends we made along the way. Oh my god, did you just think of that? Yeah. Ooh. Just now. You should really patent that joke, because otherwise it's just going to go crazy on Twitter, and nobody will know where it came from originally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's all me. I'm planning on making that joke several times in this podcast. No, once it's been done once, Aaron. I own it it forever. Me. Mine. (laughs) I find it metaphorical. (laughs) Oh. Drink. Oh, God. How many times does he say it? He stops saying it eventually, though. Three or four. It's really only in the first few acts, I suppose. Only in the first couple of hours does he say it. He stops in the fourth or fifth hour, I think. It is a long film. It's two hours and five okay, minutes. Mr. It feels Millennium. long. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. If you can't watch a movie that's two hours and five minutes, maybe you shouldn't watch movies. That's just my whole point. He's right. I'm just you fucking Eric's, fell Eric's asleep. Taking that joke, to, uh, that advice to heart, his whole life. You that's fell why asleep. I don't watch Eric. movie. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. just gonna wait for it to come yeah. out on the Facebook. Watch it that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, everyone, if you hear the sound of something being tortured in the background, <laughs> that is a French bulldog 
being tortured in the background. <laughs> no, he's just uh, being being whiny. Right, Eric? It's your dog, you tell me. He's okay. Well, you untie him, Dave? <laughs> I mean, it's making it a little awkward for him. He can't walk. He's not ready to be cooked yet. <laughs> he's going to get soft and lean. <laughs> Uh, but well, Eric, let's start with you. Did you like the film? Yeah, there was a few left turns there that wasn't really expecting. True, uh, true. Although you did predict a thriller, I did. Were you thrilled? An intellectually thriller, an intellectual thriller, right? Isn't that what we said? It thrilled you. Int- a real Will Kurtz. <laughs> did it thrill you uh, intellectually? Oh my God, are you okay with me using your full name? Um, sure. I can, they'll I can, only think that I'm that avant-garde sculptor from New York City. I can so. bleep it out if you want. Are no, it's fine because you? when I was a kid, I, I thought, you know, if I grew up, maybe I'd be famous. And now I realize I'm not even the most famous Will Kurtz. Yeah, no, your sculpture is very conventional, I have to say. <laughs> it's not intellectually thrilling, that's for sure. <laughs> but And Eric, uh, just, I, I do want to establish, uh, were you awake through the whole film? Um, mm. There was probably a few moments there near the end. When where you lost consciousness yeah yeah all right well we'll we'll see if we can figure out if you missed anything <laughs> but um, i got some I bad news for you it, I yeah I, I i do want to tell you though that uh i i do have bad news for you eric okay you owe aaron and faith a million dollars oh no because wow. i liked this you movie liked yeah Fantastic twist. twist. Yeah, Shyamalan-esque, a Bong Joon-ho-esque twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I, I really did like it. I have critiques. I have criticisms. Um, wasn't wasn't perfect. But, uh, I, I mean, especially uh, compared to the other of his films that I've seen, liked it a lot. And I think actually um, now having seen a whole bunch of the Best Picture nominees, I think... I mean, we may talk about it more later, but I, I'm going to go and go ahead and say I think that was rightly decided. Yeah, Excellent. I think it was the I best movie of last year. And it also kind of, I think, captured 2019. I mean, we can talk about it, but I think it was like the right movie to win in the year oh. as well as being the best movie. Hmm. Yeah. I agree with you guys as well. And Dave, I'm uh, especially impressed because when I learned just how much you actually knew going into the movie, um, for me watching the movie, so much of the fun was just the constant reveals of, oh, they're doing this, oh, they're doing this. And then, of course, yeah, I'm sure we'll get to the twist. Um, but kind of having that dawn on me as it happened was an experience that I think having that taken away from knowing all of that going in, I thought would really, you know, lessen it, lessen it. Yeah. And I was thinking about that while I was watching the film and w- how it wound up working out was um, I, I obviously still wound up enjoying it. And it was kind of the it was the sort of enjoyment you get like on the second viewing where. Because I knew what was going to happen, uh, I was really digging seeing how they were setting it up. Mm-hmm. They and, get a lot of little clues that yeah. are like kind of little Easter eggs when you're watching it a second or third time. Right. It's like the enjoyment you get on a second watch that was still pretty good for me. So maybe I would have liked it even better on that first time. It's bit like when that reveal comes of that bunker, it is... Even knowing that it was there, I I found it so effective and so shocking. And it's such a sinister looking bunker and like all of that. And Eric, I want to get your reaction to it, too, because yours was actually the natural one. But just to 
finish on how I responded to it. It was just still so uh, well executed and shocking and, you, you know, I, I, I thought it was still great. And I, I liked watching how it was built to quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, even knowing it, it still worked. Right. Well, I think that's one of the reasons I asked what genre you thought the movie was um, is because I think it just transcends different genres. It's, mm-hmm. it's like a comedy in the beginning. It starts it's so as kind funny of a, and like, like almost like an light. Ocean's Eleven-ish yeah. you know, con mm-hmm. artist comedy. Yeah. And then when you have that first twist of the bunker, it just completely feels like it shifts gears. Well, for a second wise. there, if I hadn't have known the way that bunker looks, you, you might start wondering if this is going to turn into like a hostile style, like a Saw movie, you mm-hmm. know, like right. something really horrific and it doesn't quite but um you know you don't know that yet eric what did you think because you you actually didn't know so i was kind of looking i had one eye on you when that scene happened what did you think yeah you said sean and i kept kind of thinking uh jordan peele sure sure um through that where it kind of started light and almost like a caricature of itself like how um kind of funny it was and everything, but then it, it took that turn, and you're like, "Oh, this gets dark." Yeah, this another movie really plays dark. with like social and class issues. Yeah, and that's actually when oh yeah, that's true too. Yeah, my prediction on like the blue, like wash, like <laughs> yeah. kind of wasn't happening, and I was disappointed. I was like, "Fuck, I fucked this prediction up." <laughs> but then a lot of like the basement scenes inherently have that kind of harsh light. Yeah, well, the, yeah, just that blue kind of dungeony. And it also, like the you know, the light is like this naked kind of fluorescent. Yeah. Everything looks very like washed and yeah. ugly and yeah. harsh. Yeah. yeah, and then and then of course like the violence, like the just like heinous violence in the final act. Yeah, Not... it just kind of escalates in all these ways that you don't expect. Right. Yeah, I think that was like yeah. even though the twists are like the most suspenseful part of it, and especially the middle scene in the house. Yeah. Um. But then the end is just like so shocking and gruesome that I think that's the part that really shook me. Yeah. So I would say, um, even though there were not a lot of surprises in this movie for me, I, I you know, it looks like pretty much all my predictions from what I'd heard about the film were right. Um. It was the the execution was still so delightful. You know, and it was in the little, it wasn't the details of what happened were still surprising to me. Like, even though I knew that this was kind of going to be a family that conned their way into a house, the execution of how that con unfolded was like delightful and surprising and funny and interesting. Like, I loved my favorite part of the film actually was up until the twist of the bunker. Like, I liked the, and maybe like including that twist. Um, no, actually, you know what? I really loved that tense scene. T- I liked the whole thing, but my favorite, you know, so lots to like and lots to talk about. I really loved that early part, watching them operate as this family of con artists. I thought that was just, just wonderful. I agree. That's my favorite yeah. sort of chapters of yeah. the of the movie. I've got a question for everyone. Do we like the family? Do we dislike the family? Do we root for them? Do we root for them in the beginning and then stop rooting for them and stop liking them? How does everyone come down on that? I definitely am rooting for them in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Because even though they're um, not very, like, 
successful in what they're doing. They're so funny and they're such a good unit together that I think they're very endearing. And you kind of sympathize with like why they haven't been able to get very far. You can see that there's already the society that's very stratified. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I actually rooted for them throughout the entire movie. Um, because, I mean, they're clearly what they, they do terrible, horrible things. And even up, I think really up until the point where um, they get rid of the driver and the, and the dad becomes the new driver. I mean, then they're actually uh, affecting someone else's life in a negative way. Um, until then, it's completely victimless because the two of them are great tutors. That's the other thing. They're just as good tutors or better tutors than, you know, whoever they would have gotten through a legitimate source, um, which I think is, is part of or one of the comments that the movie is making. Um, up until they get the driver fired, uh, then they're, you know, then, then they're negatively impacting other people's lives. And then, of course, what they do to, um, to the housekeeper is, is somewhat heinous. And then obviously towards the end, they do terrible, unspeakable things. But I actually rooted through for them throughout the entire movie. I didn't dislike the rich family. I thought they were perfectly nice, good people. You know, they were naive. And I guess naivete is somewhat of a sin. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's something that the movie wants us to think about as well uh, when it comes to class and when it comes to, you know, what we all think about. And none of us here are, you know, living in a bunker. <laughs> we all are, you know, comfortable people, I think. So not that- level of wealth either not that level of wealth either um but then it's you know you're always aware of kind of who's above you and who's below you and you know maybe i'm going i'm getting too deep into it uh right now already but you know the idea that you somewhat and this is i think true in korean class culture but uh also true in, in american culture and probably across the world maybe universal is that there's a certain you know you uh, lauding that happens a certain respect for those who are above you in class or in wealth, and then an immediate disdain for anyone who's beneath you. Um, and as soon as they're beneath you, uh, you, you know, that your opinion shifts and, and, you know, where you are is, is defining, um, no matter where that is and immediately shifts once you attain a different position. I want to answer your original question though, about, uh, how I felt about the families. Um, I went back and forth on both of them quite a bit through this film. Uh, I actually don't really agree that the rich family was harmless and naive. Um, they are for a lot of it, especially the uh, the the wife, the mother. But um, mm-hmm. there's a a lot of uh, that kind of thoughtlessness, yes, and uh, callousness, even. Yeah, crossing the line into that, and you especially there's kind of um, the last act of the film. After, so there there came a part in the film where after they've escaped the house after that tension-filled night, and I think I commented at that point in the movie where I was like, I feel like this movie ought to be over soon, and yet there's still quite a bit left, and I was wondering what could possibly be more in the film, and what was left was actually pretty significant and pretty good, which was the actions of the rich family, I feel like were ratcheted up a notch Mm -hmm. during this last part where things that had been present the whole time increased. And it was like the discussion of like how the poor people smelled bad Mm -hmm. and, you know, like widening the gap, so to speak. Yeah. And, and just like this twisting of the knife and, you know, not really like appreciating how it's coming across got a lot worse and, you know, like she's talking about how, Oh, the rain was great. How, you know, it cleared out, 
all, you know, made it all sunny for my son's birthday. How wonderful. Right. Meanwhile, this entire neighborhood was flooded out and a thousand people had to sleep in a gym just a mile away without even thinking about it. And then with on the flip side, the poor family, I loved them and I hated them at different points. So I loved them when they were just being operators. I did find them very cruel and callous at other points, like when you were talking about how, you know, they ruined other people's lives rather uh, easily, you know. Um, my favorite character in the whole movie was the the daughter, um, Jessica. Well, her American name was Jessica. Key Young, I think. Yeah, um, and her name is uh, Park Sodam, was the, uh, the actress's name. I thought she was the best part of the film for me. But um, she's all, she is a cold bitch several times like mm-hmm. her cons sure. rely on some pretty cruel emotional manipulation of several different people and just uh, uh, to finish up um there's some uh, when they're all eating at the house together as a family uh, on that night they have uh the mother makes some kind of comment about how she's sure she would be nicer if she was just rich yeah that is clearly not true. Like she, <laughs> right. she would not, um, you know, and I think it's pretty clear that she wouldn't be. And this isn't to say that, you know, poor people are cruel or rich people are cruel and that money makes you one or the other, or maybe it does exacerbate that. But I think what is clear in that moment is just that like, she is not very nice and whether she has money or not, she is just always going to be not very nice. Sure. Yeah, well, I just wanted to circle back to um, Will talking about their naivety, um, just to speak to that sort of a little bit. I think what they're making fun of is in Korean culture, everything is so all about like the superficial face of something. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just just interject because I don't think we've made it explicit on the podcast, Aaron. You have lived in Korea. Right. Yeah. So I, I did. I, I think I mentioned that in the beginning part. But yeah, Um I lived there for uh, almost two years, so um, I could definitely speak to this sort of intense, superficial uh, sort of the way things appear on the outside is so important, so much more important than how things are actually uh, like underneath that. Yeah, the Um, thing the family was most scared of, the rich family, was like anything becoming public about them. Like they're obsessed with the idea of shame. Yeah. um, And also, um, you know, when they're firing people, everything is pushed under the rug. That's very Korean. You don't sort of talk about things that you don't go to the police. The police are just never called. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, you it's so important to get into like the certain school. If you don't have the certain school, you're not going to get the certain job. And if you don't have the certain job, like, you know, everything is over for you like your life that's why the suicide rates are so high um but that's also why the poor family can't even get a job you know other than making pizza boxes right um but it's also makes it so it's really easy for them to sort of fake it because um it's all superficial so if you fake the superficial thing people will just accept it right exactly that's what makes it so easy for them you know and it's like oh the card looks good so in a way, uh, the the poor family's sins were born of uh, necessity, where the rich family's sins were born of ignorance. So neither were born from malice, which is why I think we're able to root for both throughout the movie. 
Sure, yeah. Mm. I mean, um, I think coming back to, the, like, the whole idea of what is the parasite, like, Dave, you were a little worried about this in the beginning. Is the parasite, like, the poor family or the rich family? But I think this movie is pretty obviously and directly about capitalism. And so this is just kind of a metaphor, a metaphorical, if you so if you would, um, about how, like, different people um, react and behave in these systems on a broader basis and the whole, like... For the rich, they're just turning a blind eye, ignorance. And for the um, for the poor, they're behaving like any way they can. And even if that means like hurting people to get higher up the ladder, the strata within the classes, like that, that's what you see. The higher you go up in in the sort of class stratosphere, though, too, your relationships also become more superficial. Um, if you look at the marriage between the rich couple, um, marriage is definitely done as a status symbol in korea like very much so so when he laughs you know when the uh the driver is saying oh but you love her and the husband kind of does that sort of sinister laugh almost it's because it's yeah, we'll call it love all is what he said i think yeah and if then we'll you compare it. that relationship to the poor um couples their relationships are much more um sincere so. yeah um Faith, actually, to respond to that, you are correct. And I was very pleased that uh, what I said in the first part was that I was worried it would be something kind of trite, like, oh, like, we'll be positioned to think that the poor people are the parasites, but that it turns out in some way it's actually the rich people. It's just some kind of, like, dumb flipping, merely flipping your expectations 180 degrees, I don't think is very interesting. Um, But what I actually felt like this movie did was kind of more bringing up the question of like what even is a parasite because so there's one scene when the man in the bunker has been revealed and he is talking to the uh the poor dad and i I know like i just i never caught anybody's name officially or like there's a bunch of different names going on so i'm just gonna go like rich dad poor dad yeah, you know, I think con I think artist that's good, son, yeah. like you know, you know, I I caught the American names like Kevin and Jessica, but like et cetera, et cetera. But so anyway, so the guy in the bunker is trying to convince the uh the people not to reveal him, and he's talking about how like I just stay down here, the state, like I can't get a job, I can't support myself, uh, I could actually be killed by loan sharks. The state won't take care of me, and I'm not actually even really hurting anybody. So can I, could you please just let me stay here? And so, you know, like he is a parasite, but he isn't hurting anybody, you know? So like, until he hurts a lot of people. Well, but he hurts a lot of people (laughs) because he's been hurt. You you know, I mean, they killed his wife. No, it's fair. You know, but like up until that point, like he wasn't hurting anyone. You know, I mean, he scared the kid, but like, you know, and there are other parts too, where like you were talking about how, Will, you were mentioning how, you were rooting for the poor family when they were just like conning their way into the house up until they made people lose their jobs. And once they started hurting people, then you started to not like them as much. But like when they were just being quote unquote parasites, getting their way in and not doing that, they were, that was great. And you said yourself, they were actually great tutors. Mm -hmm. They were, they were, it was symbiotic. They were benefiting this rich family. They were good tutors too. So like, what even is a parasite in this situation? They're the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Yeah. By watching the movie, I think we are the parasites. Well, I think that's clear. We are the parasites. I mean, humans are a parasitic life form. 
Um, and the I virus. think we are certainly. I, I mean, <laughs> there you yeah. go. There's, your, there's your contagion, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do a lot to show that there is a difference between these people, though. Um, they do it in subtle ways, like in the directing. There's always, if you notice, lines are used so much in the cinematography, but there's always a line. Um, separating the poor and the rich families, mm. if you notice. Um, every time they talk or every time, like, they, in almost all the scenes in the house, everything is, they're split mm-hmm. on two different sides. Um, but then also, like, subtle things, um, the dads, the poor dad and then the uh, the bunker. Rich dad? No. Oh, the, bunker dad. Bunker dad. I guess I don't know if he's a dad, but um, their faces are very, like, ruddy. Yeah. Like, even though he's spent, like, years in this bunker, his face is still ruddy. Well, not a lot of sunlight down there. That's what I'm saying. He should be paler, right? Like, that's very much a symbol of, like, poor fishermen, low class. You see that in almost all Korean movies that that talk about this, which is almost all Korean movies. You know, the the line thing is also um, underscored by the dialogue where the rich father keeps talking about how he doesn't want his help to cross the line and how he appreciates poor dad for kind of walking up to that line, but knowing where the line is and respecting it. And I mean, I think that's a you would know this better than I, but a Korean cultural thing, but also I think an American cultural thing where, mm-hmm. you know, we all have bosses and we know we can kind of, you know, joke around with our bosses to some extent or not even just bosses, but anyone who's sort of above us in stature. And you our can jo- betters. Our betters. And you can joke around with them to a certain extent, but there's a line you can't cross. Mm-hmm. Aaron, yeah. I wanted to ask you a question as our kind of like uh, Korea expert here. Um I don't know about expert, but... Well, you might at least be able to shed a little bit of light onto this, which is something they were talking about in the film, which was um, they have their Korean names, and then they talk about how they have American names. So there's like... uh, Like, So there's the daughter whose name is Ki Jung, but she goes by Jessica for a lot of the movie because that's her American name. And there's the son who's Ki Woo who goes by Kevin because that's his American name for a lot of the movie. And so like, what's the deal with that? Is that like they study abroad and just take on that name to fit in here and then come back and keep using it or what? Uh, yeah. A Korean, uh, most Koreans, uh, most of the time when Koreans come over here, like all my students, because I also work in an ESL school, um, they have all of American names because they think it's difficult for us to say their names. Um, but especially in the case where they are tutors, specifically tutoring English, but anything with kind of education, they use American names. So they're kind of, they're given American names or they can choose when they're in kindergarten. And then that's just their American name. So it's like how in Spanish class we yeah, have our Spanish say, names. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have a name in your language class? Yeah. Well, what was your Spanish name, Dave? David. David, okay. Yeah, the nice thing about David is that it's uh, in basically every single, it exists in every single other language in the world and in, it's always David. So I wanted to talk about the uh, the daughter some more, uh, the actress, uh, again, um, Park Sodam. And, you know, uh, if we have any Korean listeners, I apologize up front if I'm butchering the pronunciations here, but uh, I'm sure I am. But Sounds pretty good, actually. Oh, thank you. She was fucking great. And I, I saw uh, during the Oscars, there was a certain amount of commentary about the fact that Parasite had won a lot of awards, and yet they hadn't won any acting awards. Or nominated. 
even nominated. You yeah. know, I believe they won one of the either guilds. I don't think it's the Golden Globes, but I think one of the guilds, like the Actors Guild or something, has an ensemble award that went to Paris. Oh, okay. I, I believe. Well, good. Good. Because I couldn't pick out any one actor or performance in that film that stood above the rest, but they were all incredible. Yeah. I, I, I would agree that everyone is incredible, but for me, I, I did feel like she kind of stood maybe like half a rung, just a bit of a cut above the rest. Uh, she stood out for me from the jump, and there are a few scenes where I, I just felt she particularly stood out to me. And, uh, you know, now having seen the movie, you know, I, I, I feel like I can react to that in an educated way where I you know now know that like yes that is ridiculous because the acting especially in her part for my sake i think it's it is ridiculous that she didn't get a nomination david i, I would also add to that the performance of the the poor dad mm. and um the mom in the rich family i think they were also yeah. cut above the um sure. exemplary ensemble yeah i just i don't know something about the daughter her her ability as a con artist stood out right away like something about her cool under pressure and there were a lot of like very little scenes with her that were really striking to me like there's one where she's in the uh she's taken on some kind of like temp job at a computer company in order to make forged documents and she's smoking inside and they're like, hey, you can't smoke in here. And they give her something to put the cigarette out. And she just ashes into it and keeps going. Like, really nice little moment. And then there's this really... It's it's barely even a scene. It's more like a, sh- a couple of shots. When the house is flooding. Uh, so, at some, at some point in the movie, uh, there's this terrible monsoon-level rainstorm. And their garden-level basement apartment is being flooded. And she goes into their bathroom, which um, is just going all to hell. It's flooded and like the toilet's backing up and it's spewing shit everywhere. And it's just terrible. And she reaches up into the ceiling where she has this sort of like hidden stash. Like it's like a, a go pile of money where she's hidden it. And she like pulls that out and sees that it's still there. And like she gets this look on her face of just like joy and relief and calm and just like looking at it like this girl just from the very first moment through the whole movie like you see it too in the scene when they're all talking uh together on uh when they have the house to themselves she is a con artist at heart through the whole film and like in that scene when she gets her stash again she like she pulls out a cigarette and she sits on top of this spewing horrible toilet and just lights it and just sits there and chills smoking this cigarette and it's just like this wonderful little scenelet that tells you so much about her she never says anything it's just all in her face and in how she reacts and in her physicality when she sits back down with the cigarette it's just you you know everything about this person i'm glad you thought to bring up that scene because that was one of my favorite shots in the movie it's it's completely disgusting and, and yet horrid, so beautiful but beautiful Real? yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. question for you guys um about her character how do you feel about um her death like her being murdered that character sucks i didn't agree with that decision when the first time i watched it but i think this time it i'm not gonna say justified but i think like in the way everyone is an individual character they're not necessarily meant to represent tropes but she's kind of the most extreme of how being in this situation yes she's a con artist at heart but she's also like heartless because she's recognizing the hopelessness of the family situation and as such she's ready to do anything and doesn't have any empathy for what the rich family is going to going through it's almost like oh well this is 
a kind of comeuppance in a way. Like they all like lose everything, but she, you know, was there, was the film trying to establish some sort of like morality play where, where people kind of deserve what they get on some level, or it's justified on some level, um, or it's explained on some level, or is it supposed to be just kind of random and life is messy? And, you know, sometimes you get away with a, just a brain, disorder that makes you laugh uncontrollably for a little while and sometimes you're murdered and sometimes you end up in a bunker and sometimes you just have your birthday party ruined um well i think the trauma that poor little boy has (laughs) suffered little rich boy (laughs) that poor little rich boy i mean i think it's got to be metaphorical right eric (laughs) what do you think what do i think about what (laughs) what do you think about the um the death of the daughter. I mean, I guess there's death I was on both to sides. Who killed her. Are we asleep for that part? Which one killed her? The bunker guy. The bunker guy. Yeah. There was the dramatic scene with the the rock. Oh my god! Right. Oh. And then he comes out and he's on a mission, and he had took the knife and came right at her. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Man, this is like really Shakespearean. This, this. I think the movie thing. is also raising those questions. Well, I'm not saying that's necessarily what I think, but I think the movie is posing like, is it moral or is it random violence? You know, there's an earlier part of the film that um, maybe doesn't speak directly to that, but kind of um, suggests uh, that question, which is uh, when they're in the um the arena or gymnasium, wherever they're sleeping after they had to evacuate their house. The dad explains his life philosophy to his son about how there's no point having a plan in life because plans inevitably are disappointed. So, you know, the only true way to go through life is without a plan. And that way those plans never get upset. And so, you know, that's, that's the wisest way to live. And, you know, you can see that maybe, you know, the the whole ending with everything falling apart at that birthday, the girl dies, they get revealed, everything gets fucked, he's trapped in this bunker. But the last lines of the movie are the son saying, you know what, Dad, I have a plan, and that plan is to rescue you. We never see how it works out, but, you know, like, I, does, it, it isn't clear to me if the movie falls one way or another on which one of those philosophies is superior, but uh, the question is posed, certainly. And what do we think? Do we think that that works out? Uh, I mean, I don't, I guess I'll go ahead and reveal my thought. I mean, mm. that's, he's, he, that's aspirational, but it's a dream, but it's, uh, I guess there's a George Carlin line, they call it the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. <laughs> um you know, I don't. Uh, I mean, given what the movie has established um, about you know class and how the rules work and how uh, difficult uh, it is to get ahead uh, if you start uh, at a certain rung in society, um, no, I think it's just a dream he he's having you know, that he's allowing himself to have and that he's giving to his father. You know, if he's able to get that message to him, I don't think that he because he's just like first I'm going to make a lot of money. It's just like. Well, great plan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know? Well, totally. And if, if I'm not saying again that everyone is a trope, but the son is the one who's bought into the, like, most the idea that he can, like, make a plan and achieve it and achieve his goals and be like them one day. I mean, you've seen what he's accomplished throughout the course of the film. The right. kid is sharp. I mean, so before. But he wants to be part of that family. He wants that life, particularly. He's like, do I. He, he wants to fit in more than the rest of them. Like, the rest That's of them true. are just like, I want to be rich, but he wants to be that. Well, and by the end, he also wants to save his father. Um, I think the 
the daughter character is also very much wanting to like she's the one that could most easily be just like fit into rich culture like she looks like she belongs there will before it's revealed that it's a dream did you believe that that final scene when he's buying the house and wealthy did you believe that before the you know the reveal that it's all just a fantasy no i took that to be a dream sequence i took that Mm -hmm. to be his imagination while he was writing the letter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean how does he even get that to his father i don't know slips it under the door he's clever he'll figure oh right um right i was gonna say he just morse codes it back but yeah no that doesn't work yeah he doesn't have a bunker light Hmm. well maybe it's not important what is important is who we all are in relation oh great great question aaron Oh, well, Eric's clearly the um, the young son. No, he's bunker guy. <laughs> I want to be bunker guy. Yeah. Everyone Will, wants to be bunker guy. Well, Will, you're the you're the poor mom. <laughs> Thank you. I, I what? No, I quite like her. I think she like is holding the family together. Sure. Uh, I would like to be either um, Jessica or Kevin. I don't know. The rest of y'all can judge which one I'm more like. Mm. I think you're more like the rich kid. Just because you're such a great artist. Oh, you think I'm the child? I, I was saying that's Eric. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, uh, speaking of the rich kids, there's also a rich daughter I wanted to bring up. A <laughs> um, couple of things. So, Aaron, maybe you can fill us in. How appropriate is it for a 16-year-old girl to be making out with her apparently college-aged tutor? I think it's fine. All right. Well, you have to remember, too, everyone's a year younger in Korea. What? So, wait, when you're born, the moment you're born, you're one. And then in the new year, in January, everyone in that year turns the next age, two. So, like on January 1st? So, she's 15? So, (laughs) yeah, if you were born on December 31st, the second day of your life, you would be two years old. So I, she could be fourteen. You know, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't take that part to be scandalous. The age difference. I mean, you know, he's her tutor and blah blah blah. But I thought it was. You know, he's supposed to be. You know, early college age, and she's late high school age. Yeah, I, mean, it's I not, actually it's not didn't terrible. find it to be very. It also weirdly, I thought, and maybe this is a cultural thing, but I almost thought the mom sort of expected. That, you know, there was going to be a little romance going on and, and everyone was just kind of okay with it. But, you know, it was it was it had to be a little bit secretive, but everyone kind of was okay with it. That's for... much like life. The yeah. mom doesn't seem to care about the daughter that much compared to the son. I mean, well, I know the that... son was horribly traumatized. <laughs> okay, but uh, le- leaving all the age stuff behind, how do we all feel about him reading her fucking diary? <laughs> well, that's just creepy. Don't do that, man. You wouldn't read her diary? Of course I would. You yeah. found someone's live journal that I you would, had a crush on. I've read all of your okay. diaries. <laughs> just like Jessica, who's like, oh, you asshole, and then like st- immediately starts reading it. Like, come on. Yeah. Everyone, awesome. you're going to tell me that none of you guys would read that diary? Yeah, if Dave's diary was sitting on this table right now, I would have it open and be reading to the pod. <laughs> this is why I don't keep a diary. Because I, I know it's Spoke, not safe. Spoken like someone who definitely keeps a diary. <laughs> <laughs> so... I wanted to bring up uh, an article that I skimmed because it would be wrong of me to say that I read this very much in depth because I really just looked at the headline um, and it was that uh, I'd seen a whole bunch of stuff about how uh, 
The movie Parasite is all about, uh, you know, class stuff and, you know, people's concerns of, you know, you have rich people worried about poor people kind of moving in and taking all their shit. And so hence my thinking that there was going to be something like that in this movie. But I saw a little bit of an article that suggested that what it could also be about is uh, broader cultural concerns uh, in South Korea about the North and that should there ever be reunification, Mm. it's basically the same deal because the North is relatively poor. And so you'd have, you know, on a national scale, all of these poor people coming in and taking all of our shit you know so it could maybe be speaking a little bit to that and where i thought of that in particular was the scene where the the bunker guys finally revealed and we got this standoff between the bunker family and the con artist family and there's a bit of a mutual assured destruction thing going on where it's like all i have to do is hit this button and it'll blow up everything in your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm holding you hostage with this. And it's even to the point where, like, you know, the the Bunker family is, like, quoting the North and, like, making fun of it of the North a little mm-hmm. bit. But, you know, in such a way where, like, they're literally standing in for them. You know? Yeah, I would love to, um, like, understand, like, South Korean reviews of this movie. Like, how has it been, like, received in Korea? Yeah. And analyzed. Well, actually. It was very interesting to me to kind of for that very brief moment get a south korean perspective of north korea yeah well i also like aaron used to teach a lot of um korean students and um all the ones i talked to um sometimes they had to do like analysis of social issues as part of their english lessons and they would often pick like political issues they seem to regard the the um, reunification of Korea is like an, an inevitable occurrence. Like it's just a matter of time that it's going to happen. Mm. But I think it's very astute to point out, yes, that that's what it would be like if there was reunification because Korea, South Korea is such a first world country um, that has these sort of like strict class uh, lines um, and the North Koreans coming in would be a very, very stark difference you know for that- them. You would notice too, just in the movie, um, the the Bunker family, they had this weird cultic devotion to the architect who built the house. Mm. The way they talked about him, you know, it's like uh, it, it had this very odd cult-like mm. feel. It's like you don't even you walk around here without even appreciating what the great you know Nanjun built, whereas we you know basked in the glory of what he created. You know that that kind of thing. Well, the Bunker family was also like they were they were from the poorer classes, but they were reveling in a different aspect of like what's seen as like rich culture. Like they loved to listen to classical music, and they thought that the other family couldn't appreciate like high culture. They only cared about money. Mm-hmm. So there was like these stratas even within the lower classes, like that they have like judging each other. Hmm. And the fact that the lower classes are just, and this is by design in our country too, uh, are are destined to beat up on one another to try to achieve the higher status while worshiping the higher status. Um, and I mean, there's 
there's blatant symbolism throughout this entire movie. But I mean, the the rock that's supposed to symbolize financial prosperity being used by the poor classes to literally beat the shit out of each other. Oh, my God. How did he survive that? <laughs> he was saved by his loving 15-year-old girlfriend who carried him <laughs> on her back to safety. Oh, man. <laughs> I hope they really went out after that. You know, I hope, you know, he asked her out at least after that. I think after his dad stabbed her dad, that's kind of a mood killer. Deal breaker. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of the class stuff in here um, really kind of reminded me of kind of this this theory I used to have. And I used to think about it daily when I took the subway daily, which in and of itself is a Did people thing. smell like radishes uh, or well, boiled rags? Well, you don't rags. have a sense of smell. Uh, I don't have a sense Sorry, of smell, so I don't know what poor okay. people smell like. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was always this. It's the Kurtzian subway theory of class, which is, you know, you have that thing where the uh, train is waiting at the station and you're running to catch it and the doors close right before you get there. And it's so unfair because just keep it open one extra second. I could have been on that. I could have been on that train. It would have been fine. Once you get on that train, close these fucking doors already. It's getting too crowded. I need to go. You know, it's just unfair. Those people should have woken up earlier. Damn it. Yeah. Um, And and I think your sliding doors theory, if it would. Right. My sliding doors theory of uh, of class and capitalism. Well, that's what um, developing countries always complain about when uh, first world nations complain that they're heavy polluters because mm-hmm. they're like your development polluted the world to the point where it got now. And now that you're there, right. you're trying to slam the door behind you saying like, we can't develop up this way using your methods because it's polluting too much. It's like, fuck you. Right. Um, so it happens in a lot of contexts. Yeah. But honestly, like, you know, wake up a minute earlier. Yeah. Why don't you get a job? <laughs> Fucking lazy oh. bums everywhere smelling like radishes. <laughs> Boiled sheets. Boiled rags. What, is yes. that? Oh, what does that even mean? And it was like the stink. So the stink was... You couldn't get rid of that stink. I don't know if any of us are, you know, rich or cultured enough to really appreciate poor people's smell. I think right. we're just wafting in it too much. Mm. Oh, we don't notice it because we swim in it all the time. Exactly. <laughs> we don't drink Voss water. Ooh, I feel so dirty. Ah, that water. Drinking Voss water is clearly a sign of class and sophistication. Yes. Well, also the fact that um, they put steak uh, like a sirloin steak, which, by the way, is the most expensive type of meat. Right. And it's so expensive in Korea. They put that in essentially like ramen. Right. That's definitely um, metaphorical. It looked delicious. <laughs> it, it did look delicious. so good. I, I know. I remembered that scene was coming, and I was so happy that we had ordered Chinese food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to... Just call out one other small moment, uh, not really having to do with anything, but... um. When they convince Rich Dad to hire the maid service by uh, giving him the card from the uh, supposed company, he looks at it, he's like, oh, man, you can tell these guys are for real because just look at how nice this card is. Well, that's exactly, yeah. Is that how he got really far in business? Like, is <laughs> Well, I, I was just waiting for him to say, it even has a watermark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, Look yeah. at this. This amazing herringbone coloration. <laughs> yeah. Embossed. God. I mean, they really did, like, 
the attention to detail in that scam was excellent. But that's the, that is what I'm saying about the way something looks on the surface is the most important thing. Right. Like if you'd bothered to Google that card, it would not exist unless maybe they even made a website. Who knows? Just thinking about how good at being con artists these kids were, especially the son and daughter. You remember um, at the very beginning, the mom talks about how uh, she really likes college students because uh, they have vigor. You know, that's that's the thing that she likes about them. And then when her son is trying to, you know, sell himself as a college student slash tutor to the lady of the house and the rich family, he's talking to the girl that he will supposedly be tutoring while the mom is listening. It's an audition. And the specific word choice he uses when talking to her is like, the most important thing for me is that you have vigor. I want you to be vigorous. Don't worry about the question. I am teaching you vigor. You know, because he knows that's what middle-aged ladies like about college students. Vigorousness. So he will be teaching, you know, he remembers these little things and that's what makes him a good con artist. He's brilliant. And that's why maybe, Will, I think he will accomplish what he sets his mind to. I hope you're right. Get, you know, get his dad back. On another note, uh, you know, aside from that, he does have quite a lot of vigor. Oh, this whole family's just bursting oh, yeah. with vigor. Yeah. I mean, well, I think why they've been, like, successful and not successful, like, up to now is, like, a lot of good scams you need to get in and get out. And so, like, it's, they've gone from one thing to another. Um, but, like... They stay in this situation too long. They get it too good. They're like, oh, we. They, they get too greedy. They're like, oh, we've got these really good jobs now. Let's keep going. They're in the, the belt of trust. Oh, I wanted to talk about the belt of trust, actually, because there was a moment. <laughs> so I, I did find that first part of the movie to be absolutely delightful. And it was my favorite part. But um, as they keep knocking these dominoes down and bringing in more members of the family, by the time we got to the mom, who's the last one to come in, and it's like, people keep getting fired, positions get open, and the last person who comes in just happens to know someone who's perfect for it. It's like, as the this domino chain keeps going, like, is it not suspicious to you, lady, that this is happening? Like, it is it is awfully suspicious, don't you think? Right. I kind of got the sense that maybe in that society, that is how you want to find someone, though. But so fast, the the table. in such quick succession. Well, at a certain point, The tutor point, it's a to movie. the new tutor to the movie to the lady. Yeah, well, I well, get it, it's but metaphorical. it's metaphorical. Like, oh, okay. Metaphorical. Um, no, but actually, I mean, that you would want it's like extra special to kind of get the inside scoop on someone you, you don't want you want the special no i understand that thing. but it but it's 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 combined with the series of mishaps and firings that seem to accompany the arrival of these you have these established trusted people where suddenly something goes wrong after these strangers come in mm-hmm. who then just happen to know somebody well i think like yes but it's it's both a movie but then it's also kind of saying like when you don't notice the parasites at first like that's how they like latch on right like the rich family is not even seeing that this is happening to them mm. until it's like they're just being they're in a false sense of security because they're protected by their position they're it's like naivete but it's also they just would never even think about someone doing that fucking rich people speaking of which we did this for little women let's do this for Parasite. That house, I talked about it in part one. I thought the house would be nice. Boy, howdy was it 
I almost came in my pants when we first entered it because it was so goddamn nice. It was like designed to appeal to me. Just beautiful, modern design, all just clean lines, minimalist touches. Everything was beautiful and clean. I, I, I adored it. So that was in Korea, but let's plop it down in one of these nice green leafy suburbs of Boston that we all live in. What is this house worth? Uh, three million. Mm-hmm. I would say three. Yeah. I was going to say two point five, but that was probably low ball. Depending it. on the town. Three, Depending three. on the town, I was going to say five. Well, sure. If what's it's your... in Cambridge, it's five. It's, three three. If... Eric, what's your guess? Three three. I mean, how many bedrooms? That glass wall. Yeah, that glass Ooh, wall. It was probably a five yard. bedroom house. Five bedrooms. Yeah, and depending on where it is, that you house have to is take worth, into account the few you, acres you, that surround it. You put that in, like, Lexington, that house is worth $7 million. I mean, if it's a famous architect, too. Oh, yeah, that's mm. true. Mm. And, and that it, had, it had a lot of, a lot of uh, garden. So what if we know about the dungeon room, the bunker, too, that you got to slap mean, an extra few that's hundred thousand room. on for that's a dungeon room. Yeah. yeah. But it's a secret bunker. We don't actually know that buying the house. Yeah, if I had a crazy murder bunker, I'd say that would depreciate like the value of my house. Oh, no, no, no. I want that. Atomic shelter. Yeah, right? yeah. Those... For... for... Yeah. Yeah. For I mean, when there's for a war, not to keep someone locked up down there, right? Use Dave? it for whatever you want. <laughs> use it for whatever you want. I don't know what you're going to use it for. Leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> okay, you're definitely maybe bunker guy. <laughs> I'm the architect who built it. God only knows what he had in mind. All right. Well, uh, did anyone have anything else to bring up about the movie proper before I started asking some meta questions? I mean, I've got a maybe this maybe this is part of your meta questions, Dave. But I just kind of came up with this lightning round of sort of moments in the movie that I'm not sure if we want to chalk up to being artistic flourishes, to being just random one offs or to being, you know, mini commentaries on the overall message. Eric, lead us off. (laughs) Is that a question? <laughs> well, <laughs> was there like a any specific moments that just like stood out to you that you liked or wanted to call out as being yeah, something? I really like that moment um, when your favorite, like the the daughter, the poor daughter, was deciphering the son's art. Oh yeah, yeah, and like talked about schizophrenia, and then she broke the mom broke out the rich mom broke out into tears, and <sighs> she was like even pointing out like motifs in the son's art and everything all she did was google it the night before slayed oh i know she slayed that scene and i just thought uh, was it was just light easy yeah was the knowing something about did something happen first grade was that just something she hit on by coincidence I got the feeling that it was something she just hit on by coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. you maybe we can imagine a conversation that took place between the two of them off screen, uh, but between the daughter and the son. But um, I thought it was just kind of like one of those, you know, cold. What's it called? Not cold calling. Cold reading things that psychics do, where they just kind of mm-hmm. pick something. And of everyone, you know, every one of us had had some trauma in first grade that we could you know, touch upon, uh, or Will, parents you, probably you have a happy on. memory from your childhood, correct? No. 
<laughs> maybe one. I don't know. Maybe she also was able to get it out of the kid because he was. But that's risky, unruly, though, right? Unruly yeah. and then incredibly well behaved. Like her, whatever she did worked magic and like two, you know, mm-hmm. immediately. That's risky, though, right? Or she's like, oh, I figured it out from the art, and then she goes upstairs later that night, and the kid's like, oh, I talked to the teacher and told her all about my thing in first grade. Yeah, I don't know. No. Yeah, Will, uh, to, to say about your question about moments we like in the movie, it happened when I saw this in the theater, and it happened again when we were watching. It's like, you're kind of, even if you know what's going to happen, um, which I didn't the first time I saw it, um, you're holding your breath throughout that entire middle scene, like the sort of middle to like three quarters of the way through the movie, when all the twist is revealed and the drama mm-hmm. and the two families are fighting. You mm-hmm. don't know if the poor family is going to make it out of this situation without being like discovered and then when they do when they get out of the house finally everyone just exhales (sighs) because it's been so tense but for so long that it's been one continuous time shot so it's like you know a couple hours in the movie but for us we've been watching that for 40 minutes totally and you're just like oh you're just like unclench a little bit yeah (laughs) when she calls and she's like we'll be there in eight minutes Oh my god. That's yeah, that's a good scene. And the thing is you don't you relax and then immediately or not immediately, but a few moments later they come home and it's just devastation. So it doesn't let you relax for that long. Yeah, I totally agree with that moment. Um I yeah, I also have I just love the scene again more in the playful and funny beginning, um when they're orchestrating the removal of the maid, their elaborate peach uh, sort of sickness. That very they, slick. Very slick. But then the the music and the slow motion when the poor father pulls out the bloody yeah uh, the bloody tissue and he just makes the most perfect face like this <laughs> like this face of ga- like gasping like the, I just I love that scene. I think it's so funny. The music in this movie I think is incredible. Excellent. And during that entire all those montages because the the stories of these cons when they're moving into the house are largely told in dialogueless montages with just that music being so incredible. Um and yeah, I mean that was great. Yeah, the rich cla- uh, classical rich people record. Mm-hmm. For me, there were a few more. I mean, you know, not to get over obvious, but it's worth pointing out, you know, the first thing that happens or one of the first things that happens in the movie is the father, you know, flicks away a literal, a bug, a literal parasite. Um, Then, you know, this is followed by them folding pizza boxes in the house and they're just fumigating the streets. And of course, this is, you know, a larger theme on the movie, but just encapsulated sort of in a microcosmic way, um, you know, about how it hurts us all. You know, society shitting on poor people means that poor people are getting you know, bug poison blown into their windows while they're folding pizza boxes that we're all going to eat the pizza out of. They so, did deliberately leave true. their windows open, though. That's true, too. Free fumigation. Yeah. <laughs> For stink bugs, specifically. For stink bugs, specifically, yeah, because they they stink. That was actually kind of what I liked about That was one of the early things that endeared me to the family was, like, all of their, like, little tricks for earning money. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we can, you know, like, with the phones and, like, you you know, like, oh, we can get free Wi-Fi this way. It's like, oh, go over here and, like, raise it up. And, you know, the parents teaching the kids all the little tricks. It's like, well, just raising a little family of con artists, you know. And they're so adorably proud. I love that, too. Mm-hmm. 
oh, I, I wish they taught this class at Oxford. <laughs> uh, what do we think of the guy who keeps coming to piss on their window? Tisha, I hope he gets the help he needs, you know? <laughs> I think it's metaphorical. Is know. it metaphorical or was know. it just funny to know. have the guy pee in the window? That, that I couldn't quite figure out. I mean, is there a larger commentary to having a drunk guy come and piss on their window and them going and dumping water on him? Or, or well, was they, it just I funny? I don't know. They live in a place that's literally only fit to piss on. I mean, yeah. and yet it's theirs. It's all they have. Like, it's actually so tragic when you're seeing the father, like, leave the house and he's, like, waiting out. It's kind of like a Titanic scene in there. He's got his one little possession. He get his he gets his wife's like medal that she won in some sports thing when she was younger, and like they're going out onto the street. It's like actually that part is like really like sad and beautiful. Yeah, I, I and I guess maybe it is. Um, you know, there's there's the echo of him. You know, peeing on it and their entire you know raw sewage is just going to consume the entire place later on. So there's a bit of foreshadowing there. Maybe if we want to read too much into it, which I think is what we do on this podcast but i think the poor daughter brings it back up to being funny and late when she's like oh cool makes takes the video recording yeah okay one last question before i launch into some meta stuff so the movie ends and dad is trapped in that bunker let us assume for a moment that it's like not exactly the same situation as what he has it's a little different let's say that you have enough food down there. It's stocked with food. And let's say that you have books. All right, because when we, we see it in there, it's pretty bare. And it's, you know, I imagine he would have both uh, the original guy and the dad will have lost their minds from boredom by the time anyone finds them. But, uh, you know, let's say that you have books at least. And he's got Wi-Fi, they established. But does he have a phone? Yeah, maybe. If he does, he can listen to this podcast. Well, he didn't call his son. He had to use Morse code. That's a good point. Um, so how long can you last down there? Am I um, being – are, are like, people trying to find me because I just murdered someone or – Just like how long before you'd lose your mind? Like let's say there you can't come up for whatever reason. 18 hours. Eighteen That's not hours. very long. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I go. I actually get like physically yeah. nuts when I don't leave. Like if I go have a day off and I don't leave the house, like I'll go crazy at around like seven thirty in the yeah. evening and just have to like I'll just walk outside <laughs> in my pajamas if that's what I'm wearing. So. Yeah, but I mean, I I could probably adapt. You know, people survive because they can adapt. So it could be much longer, perhaps. I mean, Bunker Guy was down there for four and a half years or whatever. Yeah, but he wasn't doing so hot. He was also able to leave occasionally. You know, to when his traumatized wife, children. Well, you know, his <laughs> wife got him out, and he yeah. And, well, no, those were in the days when the architect was there, not with the rich family. But he definitely traumatized. Yeah. He came up enough times to like traumatize. It was a spooky moment. I yeah. liked how they made him look incredibly terrifying too. Like he, they made him look like a monster, much more so even than he would normally look. Like the, they gave you the perspective of the child seeing that image. Right. And I mean, he's, he's gaunt and he's pale and he's got kind of bulging eyes. I mean, that's just physically the way the dude looks. I'm not. I bet. Don't give me that look, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, uh, so, I mean, look, if it's like the entire world above is poison gas and you can't come out, I could probably last a good long while. 
you know, but uh, if it's just an endurance test to see how long you could go down there, um, I bet I could do a month. Oh, I was going to say two weeks. Two weeks? Hmm. I could probably do a month. Well, guys, I have a surprise for you. (laughs) 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 We're going to find out. You get a bunker and you get a bunker. Everybody gets a bunker. All right. And so on to meta stuff. I actually don't really have a lot of meta stuff because like I said, I didn't really do any research on this. I just want to talk a little bit about two things. One, we're going to play the money game. So this movie uh, had a budget of adjusting for currency, a budget of about US $11.4 million. Pretty cheap, actually. Um, how much do we think it made, keeping in mind it's still making money, but up to now, or up until whenever this Wikipedia page was last uh, edited? I want to guess $180 million. All right, that's Faith. Aaron? I'm going to guess $300 million. Will? 115 Eric? 99 <laughs> Dollars? $99 million? Yeah, $99 It made... Two hundred and thirty-five point one million dollars. Wow, good for him. To this that point, yeah, so pretty goddamn good. Um, now let's turn it to the Oscars. So, Will, uh, this is I think going to complete our little run of uh, Oscars catch-ups. Yeah, just because I don't think I can sustain it seeing so many. You don't want to do Ford versus Ferrari Day? <laughs> yeah, that too. I think we've also caught all the ones I wanted to catch, so. Uh, I think we're done with that. But um, let's just kind of go around and mention the ones that we've seen and say if we think, you know, it was rightly decided. Because we're now past the Oscars, so and we know which one, which was this. Uh, you know, do we think that was right? I've already gone on record, you know, having seen now. We've done for the podcast 1917, which I liked a lot. Little Women, which I thought was okay. And now this one, which I liked a lot. I'd also seen Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story. I saw a little bit of Marriage Story, not all of it. Um, I think that was it for the nominees, but uh, this I think was the best one. So I'm, I'm going with this as the, the best only pick. one I've seen. So you best, agree best that this I've was seen. the best picture? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Aaron. Uh, yeah, I I think it's a really uh, original and re- uh, refreshing kind of movie to win. Definitely agree with the agree with the win. And I haven't, I mean, I've only seen, I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this movie, Little Women Now. I don't know what else I've seen. Joker. Jojo Rabbit. I have not seen Joker. Um, and of the ones I've seen, I think it, it uh, yeah, definitely deserved the win. I'm going to say yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was thrilled that it won. And yeah, I, I guess I saw about half of the Best Picture nominees. And I thought that this was the best movie that I saw last year. So, yeah. Will? I was very glad that it won. Um, I am on record on this podcast. It was my favorite movie of last year. I saw almost all of the Best Picture nominated movies, uh, save for Marriage Story and Ford v. Ferrari, I think, unless there's one I'm not thinking of right now. Um, I was not even rooting it for it to win because I thought that it was going to you know, win screenplay. It was a lock for foreign film and it might win Best Director. And generally the movies that I really like win in categories like that and don't usually win Best Picture. And you know, Best Picture is usually something like we thought it was going to go to 1917. I think that was sort of like the 
the prognosticator's consensus almost. Um, I thought that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood sort of had a, a shot at kind of sliding in there just because um, Tarantino's never won a Best Picture or Best Director. And it was kind of, as I think, Dave, you mentioned a couple podcasts ago, it's a movie about Hollywood, which Hollywood loves. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I was, there's also The Irishman. But. And there was The Irishman as well. So I wasn't even rooting for it to win Best Picture. Um, I was just going to be happy with it getting the uh, acclaim that it got. But I was I was thrilled to see you know it win. And it would just made it kind of a fun night. And Bong was just like such a great character up there on stage. And he was truly overtaken himself um, and just he was he was humble. You know, I felt throughout the whole thing and really enjoying it. And there were all the pictures of him making his Oscars make out with each other and stuff like that, which was great to see. So, I mean, I, I was thrilled by the whole thing. And I don't know how many times what I felt was the best movie um, has won the best movie Oscar. I mean, it's it's rare if it's ever happened before. I'm not sure, um, but but if it has, it's rare. And and as I said, you know, it's like that. It's it's you know, I don't know to to bring it back to something like Pulp Fiction versus Forrest Gump. You know, Pulp Fiction was the best movie of the year, but everyone, you know, Forrest Gump rightfully won the Oscar because that's the type of movie the Oscar appreciates. So I thought it was going to be 1917. Um, yeah. All right, Eric. The way we end this podcast is with a question. Do you feel like this movie was better late or never? Do you feel like there was something essential about it where you needed to see this in order to be a uh, fully formed movie viewer? That there, w- there was something essential about it, you know? And, you know, last time we actually got into a bit of a, bit of a discussion as to what this even means. So I'm going to let you interpret that for yourself if that means essential for you, essential for everyone... I'm going to leave it up to you, but um, never would mean the opposite. If you or just one in general doesn't see this movie, then that's fine. It's not a movie that one has to see. Which one do you think? You know, as much as I like it, as much as I like it, I don't think that you have to see it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I like it a lot, though. I'd suggest it, but I don't think I don't think your life is going to change. I'm just curious. What is a movie that you think is essential? Forrest Gump. Okay. Sure. I honestly don't know what I'm going to say. It feels too soon to answer this question. Uh, You know, we ran into this problem with the other ones, even though I was much more prepared to answer. But, you know, that's the problem with doing movies that are so contemporary is that we don't actually know how essential they're going to feel down the road. Well, but just put yourself in the hot seat of your guests, Dave. I mean, they might yeah. not have that much cultural or historical context either. I mean, sometimes you can recognize the influence of a movie based on what came after it and seeing that that was the originator. But I'm also just I'm put yourself in. You've just seen this movie just like anyone else. Trying to ta- this pod. Yeah, I'm trying to talk my my way through it, too, where it's like. You know, it's similar to last week where, you know, I at first was swayed by this, but then got swayed away from this argument. But it was that I was glad to have finally seen a film that had so dominated the cultural zeitgeist. But that, you know. Well, I'll just put out there that you can no longer say that you universally hate. Uh, that's correct. The this, uh, this movie is a Bong Joon-ho movie that I personally liked. I felt it on the inside. It wasn't just 
a good movie that I respected but didn't feel. It was a good movie that I just straight up dug. So it's got that going for it, no question. Do I think it's an essential film? Hmm. It's also, it's it's broken a lot of precedent. Broken yeah. a lot of barriers, yes. I think yes. it's absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's really a question here. It is the first foreign language film to win the Best Picture Oscar. It's an absolute phenomenon. There's been no more discussed movie that's come out this year or probably in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly going to be a film that's, referred to and talked about for years and years to come whether it turns out to be a phenomenon that in retrospect kind of seems a little um you know so a movie like baby american beauty which was a phenomenon of its time and 20 years later um it it, most people think it doesn't hold up as much as it did then most people think that the satire and the commentary in that film uh hasn't stood the test of time so maybe that'll be the case here but there's no question as to whether it's a phenomenon there's no question as to whether it's um a movie that's kind of be part of like the pantheon of, of films people discuss who discuss films. I think there's a lot of parallels with Get Out as well. We kind of, Eric, yeah. you mentioned that earlier. It's a movie that's going to be discussed in like college classes and taught. I can see that yeah. without a doubt. All good points. And they're swaying me and they're, they're pushing me to the edge. And you know, what's finally now tipping me over that edge is um, I'm thinking about how, like I had this happen recently where I had a friend over and we were talking about, different movies that we could potentially watch you know that evening and i was going through and he said a particular film that or i said a particular film and he's like oh i haven't seen that and i was like oh fuck you haven't seen that we're watching it and i feel like a couple of years from now you know i'm trying to project forward and I, i feel like this is kind of like for me what the crux of this question is I think if that situation comes up for this movie a couple of years from now, if that same friend is over and he's like, oh, yeah, I never saw Parasite. And I'm like, you haven't seen fucking Parasite? Okay, we're watching Parasite. I I think that's how that's going to go down. So I'm voting better late. Right on. Ta-da! There you go. All right. Well, let's just see if you change your mind in a few minutes like last time. <laughs> well, Emily's not here with her silver-tongued oratory to convince me uh, if I, to go If I'd been way. here, I would have kept you on the side of Little Women. Well, well anyway, so that's our show for this week. Uh, thank you guys for all coming out tonight and watching Parasite with me. And uh, if anyone out there in listener land would like to contact the podcast and tell us what you thought we got wrong, what you thought we got right, anything you would like us to talk about next time, email us at betterlatethaneverpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at betterlate underscore pod. Wait, who was the parasite? The friends along the way, Faith. Oh, I get it. I get it. along the way. I'll catch you guys next time. And to everybody else, tune in next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.